0: Hey, welcome to the Risen Nation Church podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us. Our goal and desire here at Risen Nation Church is to prepare a place for God's presence with God's people. If you'd like more information on upcoming events or how to connect with us or even to partner with us, you can visit risennation.org. We do hope you enjoy today's message. All right, so... I want to, um, and you can turn that pad off just for a bit. Can we talk a little bit today about money? Because we've been talking about revival culture, and money is part of it. So in Acts, Acts 2, and I'm going to read, you don't have to turn to it, just listen. Last week I talked about repentance, and I want to make something very, very clear if it wasn't clear enough. We are, repentance is to repent from sin. We make that very extremely over-the-top, over-communicate clear that sometimes people hear something and they come up with their own conclusions. We're going to leave no room for false interpretation. Repentance, it says in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And then later on in Scripture, it says, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And God brought a law to reveal sin. Because without us coming to a conclusion within our hearts that I am or I was a sinner, you will never have a need for a savior. So sin has to be exposed. Sin has to be repented of because you have to see your need for him, that you can't do this. But when Jesus comes, when Jesus shows up, what I see so much in the church is people will repent from their sin and then the whole priority of your Christian life is trying not to sin. What gives you the power to live a life that is set free from sin? Just if you read Romans 6, I, I'm, this is homework, read Romans 6 on your own time. It says at least six times that we have been set free from sin. So if you believe you're a sinner, then you are still bound to something that God said you could be free from. Right, but Romans 6, and then people get into Romans 7. How many of you know the chapters in the scriptures were written in Romans as one letter? So you got to read the whole thing. But in Romans 7, he comes and he's like, Now I'm talking to those in the flesh, talking to those under the law. What I will to do, I can't do. What I want to do, I don't know how to do. And he's very confused, and people will take Romans 7 and they'll make that an excuse to live a life of sin, and we call ourselves sinners because we want an excuse to live a life in sin. But then you get to Romans 8, and it says, but now there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, it says now, and he says, and I'm not speaking to those under the law or in the flesh because we don't live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit now. So can you understand how we have a mass majority of Christianity today that is stuck between sin and new creation, And we're dual-minded and we're just trying to fight the flesh all the time when Jesus said you have to be crucified. You have to die to the flesh and you have to live according to the spirit. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So you'll live your whole life unstable until you believe the actual price that was paid for you, the blood of Jesus that came. To say the blood of Jesus, does it completely wash me clean, yes or no? Does it halfway work? It works all the way, 100%. And the more that we come into the image and the likeness of God, it is a becoming. It's a constant growing up more and more into his image. And the more and more you believe you are a son and a daughter of God, the less that you are going to say, I'm in sin and I'm a sinner. No, no, no. You have to believe what God says about you. When I go to the grocery store, I'm not fighting my arm to not steal something. This is like what we teach in Christianity today. And we teach people how to combat sin and temptation. There's only one answer. It's Jesus. So when I'm at the store, I don't steal because I'm not a thief. It's a nature problem. It's an image thing. Are are you with me? So I just want to make it really clear. We repent from sin, but then there's a new life offered. We repent from something, but we have to repent to something. We, we can't just focus on sin all the time because it's like the lowest level. It's the beginning level of saying yes to Jesus. There is so much more than you just getting through life, staying away from sin. You don't fix sin. You die to sin. It has to, not, it has to become like you're not that person anymore. How many of you say what, Jesus came and changed your life and you can't even relate to the old man? That's because you went into him. So I just want to make sure we're clear. The first part of revival and what I believe that God is going to do with a move like we have never seen is it's going to be a move of holiness. But it's not going to be by works. It's going to be a young generation that has said yes to living a life. He, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Him with clean hands and a pure heart. We need righteousness in the church. We don't need that sloppy grace thing. We need that grace that actually leads us to a life that is possible to live like him, to talk like him, and to walk like him. So I just wanna make sure that we're clear. We repent from sin, but we repent into him. And that repenting into him is a returning back to what we were originally created to be, as if you never ate from the tree, justified in him, which that means is just as if it never happened. Are, are you with me? Okay, so... Sometimes I think we have this idea when we hear about past revivals that, and it is this, that, man, people were just, that that revival is just people falling on the floor, being slain, and screaming, and rooms shaking. And and of course, we're down for all of those things. We welcome that here. Um, But we have this idea that it's just like these every night meetings at some church building, it's not revival. Revival has to be translated. That's That might be how it starts. That might be stirring each other up, right? But if revival doesn't translate into my home, if it doesn't translate into my workplace, it won't be sustained. And I'll need the building, and I'll need the preacher to feel like I'm in a move of the spirit rather than becoming one with him. So I can't tell you how much more normal this should be. What we experience here For example, cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. That should be normal to us as believers. But we have separated the supernatural and the practical. And then we tell people, man, we got to keep it practical. God's not practical. He's supernatural. There is nothing, absolutely nothing about a life that can walk on water that's practical. There is absolutely nothing practical about a man that would yell at a tomb with a man in it for four days and that man would come up. There is nothing practical about how supernatural God is. It's a kingdom that doesn't make sense whatsoever. The world will try to figure it out and we will try to dumb it down, but it won't work. So that's why Jesus always had to say to him who has an ear, let him hear. Because if you don't want it, you're not going to get it. Sometimes people come into worship, you can sense it in the room. Some people want to be here. Some people are staring at you with your hands in their pocket. and People are like, well, I'm not experiencing that. When's the last time you pressed in? Expectation. But, you know, so let me get back because I'll I'll go off on a tangent on that. The Lord's teaching me how to be a pastor and a teacher. I'm going to try to teach today, okay? So (laughs) just roll with me. Thanks, Kevin. Kevin's doing a golf clap for me. feel it. I can can just start feeling it. You know, it starts coming out and I can't help but preach. We have to make the supernatural normal. We have to make the power normal. It it has to become a normal way of thinking to our children that we pray for the sick and we see the sick recover. It has to be a normal way of thinking that when we walk into the room, devils tremble. There's nothing practical about that at all. Not even a little bit. Practical in scripture has to be supernatural and the world's not going to understand it. But it has to translate into our homes becoming supernatural. That the way we parent is supernatural. That the way we are a husband and a wife is supernatural. That when the world sees us, they say, man, the, the way you love your wife, I've never seen it like that before. That's just as much revival as it is people screaming in a building. Are you with me? So here's what it says in Acts. I mean, it couldn't be more normal. This is Acts 2, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. I feel like I need to say this. There's, there's a thinking, a doctrine, a theology out there that the gifts and the moves of the spirit and healing isn't for today. It's from hell. Let's just make that really clear. And, uh, and I say this with love and honor and honoring my family. My brother and I have a cousin by the name of Costi. And in the Bible it says to make sure that the flock is aware of false teachers. Got really intense in here. I have a cousin named Costi that saw healing and miracles his whole life that got under a man named John MacArthur and convinced him that miracles are not for today. Everything you saw was a lie, all kinds of stuff, that the move of the Spirit came against our whole family stuff. And we love him. We, we, we pray that he come running back to the Holy Spirit that's available because I'm pretty sure it says that the gift of the Holy Spirit is to you, your children, and to all who are far off. It didn't end with disciples. It created disciples. But I just want to make this really clear. My brother, Kosti, stand up really quick, just do a twirl, everyone can see you, is not, listen, there's like five Kostis in our family. It's like an Arab thing. Don't worry about it. This is not the same Kosti. Can we just, protecting my brother, because I don't want to have to hurt you, okay? So, so different Kosti. All right, Costy, we love you, and I pray that you get pounded with the Holy Spirit today. <laughs> in love, he's my cousin, so we can talk like that. Yeah, just I needed to make sure that we were clear on that because we've had questions coming to the church about it about my brother, and he's not going to change his name. Amen. So, <laughs> verse forty-two. Jumping on to verse forty-two, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, here, this is the ingredients for revival. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. I love it. Anyone ever been in this room and you just sense the fear of the Lord and you don't know what's happening? It kind of happens almost every week where it's like, oh my gosh, God's here. What I love about what this is saying is it doesn't say they were in a building. I mean, it says that they were breaking bread together and in prayer. That's very normal life, but yet the fear of God was gripping every soul. He was so present in that environment that the fear of God was gripping every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold all their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as everyone had needs. So we talked about repentance. It's what... It's what starts it all. It's what urges it all on. But I want to talk today about selling everything. And, and I need you to hear me. I'm not asking anybody to sell your homes and give us the money. Okay? But there is a principle in this that God wants us to see. And there's something happening with our leadership. Just this week, we've heard about more. There's something happening with our leadership. I've seen my, my brother do it and Joey do it and I did it. And, I mean, I, I would say at least 10 people within our leadership, husbands and wives have come to me even as of this week and said, God spoke to us, we're leaving everything to serve the church. And I'm going, wait, 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 wait. I don't have money to pay you because we don't. Can we talk like family today? Can we have like a family conversation? If you're new, welcome to the family. <laughs> we're seeing something so unique happen, I'm telling you, that just like in Acts, they, they came and they sold everything and I'm watching our leadership come to me and there's this part of me that's like, why, why do you gotta quit your job? Because there's this subtle thing as a pastor where I care for these people. I care for their families. I care for their wives and and their husbands. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm not gonna let you go hungry, but what they're telling me is, listen, we don't want anything. We wanna serve. Like we're diving all in. We're bringing everything and we're saying, we don't need anything from the church. We just wanna serve. How can we serve? What can we do? I've never quite seen it happen like this. And predominantly young people, that are coming and saying, we're, we're, we're quitting everything. Now, here, again, hear my heart. Please, don't everyone quit your jobs. But what I am saying is there's something happening in the spirit where it's like, God, you're obviously going to do something. Because you're talking to people. Separ- no, no one's talking about quitting their jobs. People are coming to me separately going, God is telling us to lay everything down. And I'm like, Okay. I don't know what to tell you. I have no idea what to do. Lord, give us millions of dollars so we can take care of everybody. But you see, but you see the early church, they didn't have a need for tithes and offerings because there was such a spirit of generosity that the church was able to just give and give and give and give and there wasn't anyone in the family that lacked because everyone had all things in common. That's why we started the distribution fund. We started that because I was reading Acts one day and it says that the Hellenists came to the apostles and they complained because they were left out of the daily distribution. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, think about the generosity. Today we have to get together once a week. If we don't pass buckets, sometimes no one puts anything in it. If we don't gather, people don't give. Like we've got to keep everyone corralled and we've got to cheerlead to create generosity. But in the the new covenant in Acts, There was such a spirit of generosity. Are you guys okay? Is it okay that we talk about this? There was such a spirit of generosity that actually the church gave daily. There was a daily distribution from the church. Like the church was a bank and took care of everybody. Man, what what would that look like if we could tell people, yeah, actually we don't ever pass buckets. We don't have to. Actually, every Sunday we give to people in need. That every week as a church, we give thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars away to the one that can't pay their bill. And if everyone has to corral that has a little bit left over to make sure that one person's bill is paid, that's what's called that's being family. That was the culture in that time. So it, it's not like the most exciting thing. Like literally it says repentance, they gave everything. There was fellowship signs and wonders. And I love in later on it says that they they just were giving thanks to God with simplicity of heart. I mean, you're talking about the greatest outpouring that the earth had ever experienced and these people are eating together under the fear of the Lord, seeing signs and wonders and not having to muster anything up. Mind-blowing. I want you to write this down. It's gonna sound random, but I'll, I'll explain. Not every Revelation is created equal. Not every revelation is created equal. Because I want you guys to see the principle. Because you know what I'm, can I just be honest what I'm tired of? I kind of talk about what I'm tired of every week, but when I hear young people come to me and they go, hey, bro, that's Old Testament, I want to slap you. Can we go there? Do you know that the whole Bible, he is the volume of the entire book? Do you know that you can't take out something because you don't like it? We need a young generation that understands, that is not illiterate in the word of God. And, and listen, the whole thing matters. And if it didn't matter, he wouldn't have put it in there. If it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, there's a reason Leviticus was left in there. There's a reason that Numbers is in there. Like, I get to Leviticus, I'm like, Lord, can I just, I'm going to go to, like, 1 Samuel where it starts talking about David and it gets exciting. And he's like, read it. And you find Jesus on every page. Every single page. And so Jesus did not, I, I need you to hear this, not every revelation is created equal. And here's what I mean. Jesus comes and he raises the standard. For example, give 10% tithe to sell everything you have and follow me. We're like, it's not about a tithe anymore. No, 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 it's way more than that. People are like, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't commit adultery. I just looked at her. What the New Testament says Thou shalt not commit adultery. That was the Old Testament. The New Testament makes it even more intense. If you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already done it in your heart. What, what the Old Testament says is hate your enemies. That's easy. Like that's, it's easy to just hate somebody and tell them go away. We have that in the church a lot today. Go sit in the corner. You're in, you're, you've sinned. You know that the Bible says when one trespasses, I just need to go on this tangent for a second. When someone trespasses, to reconcile them, to restore them, considering yourself, like how would you want to be treated? It goes from hate your enemies to love them. It goes from an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus comes and he raises the revelation. says, well, actually, I'm going to tell you to turn the other cheek. And it's amazing how we don't like the Old Testament until we need the Old Testament, and then we start breaking windows because we want rights. We gave up our rights. It's amazing how we'll bust out the Old Testament when we need it, but we go, man, that's, that's law, bro. Do you know that it says... That not one one word, one letter of the law, will go away. So Jesus raises the bar; he makes it way harder than it was before. But here's what he does: he says, I'm, "I'm gonna I'm gonna cause it to be even more, and you're definitely not gonna be able to follow it." But here's what grace is: that word grace means divine influence upon the heart and the reflection of the life. It, it's not just unmerited favor, although it is; it's undeserved favor, but Grace comes and it changes the way that I think, changes the way that I see. It is the empowerment of Jesus that I can take on the words that say, as he is, so are we in this world. That's impossible for me to accomplish. But when God enters my heart, see what man couldn't do, God comes, wraps himself in flesh and does, and then makes his home in our heart and says, only by my grace am I gonna change your eyes. And what was impossible to Moses... You see, if you could just see what the old prophets would have dreamed of is for this day. And we're struggling with sin. What Moses would have dreamed of and what they could never understand. Like if you read about the children of Israel, it is so frustrating. If you just keep reading it and reading it, it's like one king was good, one, then they fell again. Like when are you going to get it? Like, I mean, you saw, you saw plagues. hit you, t- you saw water turn to blood, and you're still sin- You were led a cloud by day, a fire by night, and you still are in sin? You saw the whole mountain on fire with one man inside of it coming down with his face shining like glory, and you still worshiped idols? It doesn't make sense. It, you know why it doesn't make sense to us? Because we have grace today. We can't fathom it because we have the Holy Spirit, because God has illuminated the hearts of men and opened our eyes to see what's actually available to the body of Christ. So Jesus comes, and what was the revelation of 10%, God says 100%. So the law doesn't go away, and and, and, and I'm just going to be real. When I hear people say, man, the tithe is not for today, again, I want to slap them. Because this is like saying, how many of you are thieves? And how many of you would say, I'm under the law because I don't steal? Nobody. You see, if, if the Bible says, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not commit adultery, do we just put that on the back burner and say that's Old Testament? Or does it still apply to our lives today? Everyone say principle. It still applies. We we don't hopefully steal. We don't, we're not murderers. We don't commit adultery. We can receive that from the law. We can receive when God says, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery if you even look at a woman. But why have we taken out the tithe? Why have we removed the Sabbath? Now listen, I, I need you guys to see this because people are like, well, what about the sacrifices? What about the offerings? There was one who came. So there's stuff that the Lord showed us in the Old Testament to lead us to Jesus. And that was the point. We don't need to sacrifice animals anymore because the blood of bulls and goats can't do it anymore. Jesus came. But, this, but stealing doesn't go away. And then we say, oh, it's by his grace. That's how you sound. We can't pick and choose what we want from the Old Testament what applies to our life today, and just leave everything else out. Are, are you with me? So I, I wrote this down. I, I once, well, it's not once. I just, I'm making this story up. So there once was a young man, right? And this young man was very troubled, and he stole a lot, and, and he was very violent. And his parents could not get him under control. And so his parents hired this police officer, and basically the police officer followed him around and, and had his hands holding holding cuffs and his hand on his gun and he was always there ready to bring this this young man to jail and so the man didn't sin and he abided by the law because he was afraid of the consequences right but then there came a day that this young man encountered jesus and he went to the right service at the right time and he went to the altar and he accepted jesus into his heart and the cop starts noticing you know this young man is not is not like he's not doing these things he used to do he doesn't talk the same he doesn't sound the same his What I used to have to tell him, be careful, don't do it, or I'm going to have to handcuff I'm not having to tell him that anymore. So the cop goes to the parents and says, you know, I think that your son has changed. I don't think I need to to walk with him anymore and and make sure he doesn't steal and, and hurt people. Did the law change or did the boy's heart change? So listen, although the law didn't change, the boy was changed. And from that day forward, he never broke the law again. But the law never went away. He just didn't need the tutor anymore. And what does it say? That the law came as a tutor. The law came as a tutor to lead us to Christ, to reveal our need for him. But when he comes in and grace hits your heart, all of a sudden, you're not trying to abide by the law out of obligation anymore. You're doing it out of love. Right? So we used to tithe because it was obligated and we were scared of the consequences. Now we tithe because we have found one who gave everything for me, and God's like, "I think it's cute that they just think I want 10." Like the, the scriptures, it, it doesn't. Matthew 5:17 says, "Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill." For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom. Jesus raises the standard. And the requirement changes. Is the tithe required? Not technically, but should it be a principle in our life because we love him? Of course. Hebrews 10, 26 says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer a sacrifice remaining for our sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. We don't preach that anymore. That's in the New Testament, guys and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment? Gosh, man, we need holiness to hit the church again. How much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled on the Son of God? If you think breaking the law was intense, take the love and grace that God gave and say I'm going to spit on it and do whatever I want with my life. Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. You see, when I hear a young generation that, do you know that today, most Christians in church, I actually, I heard this testimony and Robert Morris said it, so I know it's true. That only five to seven percent of believers, Christians, actually tithe today in church. It doesn't go away. It changes, and the Lord didn't, or changes, the Lord didn't change his mind when he said in Proverbs 3:9, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And then it says in, in Malachi 3:8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Do these words still apply? Is it still in the Bible? Does it it still apply to our lives, yes or no? Do Do you like Psalms 23 and Psalms 34? He's gonna make a table for us in the midst of our enemy. You like that one, but you don't like this one. You can't take it out. I know the plans he has for me. We all know that one. Lord, you have loved me with an everlasting love. We all know Jeremiah 31, but this one, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way, Lord, have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in the house, and test me now in this. It's the only thing God says to test him in. And now you know it's not for an offering. We already took the offering. We have to see this, that this is part of revival. If, if, if revival doesn't become our whole lives, like you can't say, God, you have my heart, but then be afraid to give $2. Come on, what does it say? That where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. I have seen, and, and anyone that, that's done this will agree with me, I've seen more people Say yes to Jesus in public at restaurants. Because this is not just here. This is a young generation that's not going to tip 10% or even 20%. Like, what if we could be so radically generous that when we got a bill for $50, we thought, I don't even know how to calculate 20%. I might as well just give them another $50. I have seen more people. It's against everything you've, all the wisdom that you've heard in the world, it's against all of it. I can't tell you how many countless times my beautiful wife and I have given all of our money for the week, and then I've got to explain it. I remember one time we went to a restaurant, and, and I had just pulled out cash for the week. What we did is we'd pay all of our bills, but then we'd pull cash out every week so we knew what we had. And I just pulled it out, and we went to this, this dinner place, and the, the man was sweet, and we're talking to him, we're talking about the Lord, and the Lord says, give all of it. And I remember we were their parents and and I I think it was like 400 and something dollars. So we paid the bill and then I gave him 400 bucks and the guy lost it, lost at the table. I have seen more people come to Jesus through someone who doesn't serve money and then say, man, it's just, I, I learned it on this, this track this guy gave me and it's, it's the wise thing to do. Nothing about this is the worldly wisdom. I heard a story of a man that, and some of you know this. I actually heard Robert Morris tell this story. I heard of a story of a man that had four accounts, and he had saved up, and it was retirement and all kinds of all kinds of stuff. And And one day, he he added it all up because he wanted to see how much he had, and it was a significant number. And right after he added it up, see, be careful to add your money and count the people. He added it all up, and God came to him and spoke to him and said, how much money do you have? And he's like, well, what account are you talking about? God said, how much money do you have? And he told, and he, obviously the Lord knows. I think sometimes God just wants us to catch up with what he's doing. And, and he had saved this money for 15 years, 15 years. God said, how much do you have? And he told him this significant amount. And God said, give it all away. We don't know Christianity like this anymore because it's unsafe. He gave everything away a year later God came and spoke to him and said, How much money do you have? He said, No, Lord. <laughs> and he said, How much money do you have? And he counted his four accounts. And the four accounts, each one was double what he made in 15 years. Listen, what he accumulated in 15 years, probably off good principles that the world presents to us. Giving it all away, God restored more in one year in all four accounts, double than he had accumulated on his own in 15 years. Will a man rob God? You can't take it out. Just as much as it's real to us to tell the truth, and that's a principle of our life, is as much real as the tithe should be to the believer. Since I was a little kid, my, I would go to my dad and I've done it. Our entire lives, we've done it. And I would bring my tithe to my dad. And we have never seen one day of lack. Ever. My dad told me growing up that before his dad died, my dad and, and maybe it was culture, but I believe this is a kingdom principle. Before his his dad had passed away, he would take his he would go and he would work all day. My dad started working while he was still in high school and didn't even graduate high school because he had to go to work eight brothers and sisters just on one side. They needed money and food. He said, "Every until the day he died, I would come and I'd bring him the entire check of everything that I made. Everything I did was for the family, everything. He said, the day his dad died, he came in and he brought it to his mom and he said, well, what do I do with it now? There is a seed that my dad planted There is faithfulness. You see, God remembers every offering. I've learned this about him. He remembers every sacrifice. It's what caused him to tell generations. Can I have, uh, Pastor Rick? It's what caused him to, to tell generations later when the children of Israel were in sin. Generations after David's gone, God's still saying, because of my servant David. And think about this man who was an adulterer. What did he do? He came and he gave an offering to the Lord. And he said, I will not come into the Lord's house empty-handed. And God remembered the sacrifice and the life of David. You think about Abraham and the nation that came out of him and the generations that came out of him because one believed God and was willing to lay down his own son on an altar against everything he believed in. God remembers our offering. I want you guys to go to Hebrews 7. And this is where we're going to end. Let me make this really clear. What breaks bondage over our life? If you could be honest, how many of you are believing for a financial miracle in your life or just like need major help? We are the body of Christ. No one should have to raise their hand to that. If we actually want to see revival, if we actually want to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like they saw in Acts, there should be none in need. Not one. So people are doing everything they can. They're putting every practice they can. Our whole lives, we go to school, we we get a job, and our whole lives are built around making money because one day you're gonna die and bring it nowhere. There is a God of this world, and, and listen, money's not evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. People don't like talking about this stuff in church and it doesn't grow the crowds, but while the church is fighting about money, the ones with money in the church are building schools and building cities and and helping the poor and helping all every area that there's need, giving thousands and thousands and thousands away. God is a God of abundance. But the tithe today is not law. It is not out of obligation. It is not a requirement, but it is love. And how much more Do we give in love when we see the blessings of the Lord poured out? Because it's not going, Lord, we're not afraid of the consequences. How else could we do but give you everything? Listen, it's like Mary busting in and washing Jesus' feet. Why did she do that? She just had seen her brother raised from the dead. If it's not gratitude, if it's not thankfulness, it won't break any bondage over your life if it is obligation, if today you feel me preaching, you're like, man, I feel manipulated I feel obligated, don't give because you're hearing it wrong but when God captivates your heart you're not going to think 10% you're going to think, God, how, how can I give you everything to think of a man a God who created the universe like I said last week, man, the universe is growing in every direction at the speed of light And he says, you know me? What is man that you are so mindful of me, Lord? Are you serious? I told a statistic last week, if you took every human being in the world, over 700 billion people, and we condensed them all down to an atom, we would all, over 7 billion people, fit in one sugar cube. And we're concerned about our bills. Do you know how big God is? Our DNA, in one body, our DNA would stretch to the sun. How detailed is this man? More stars than there is sand on the seashore. Who is this God who knows my life? And then you would go as far as wrapping yourself in flesh. It says he could measure the universe with his fingers. What? And then you take it as far as going, I want to be in you. I want to live in you. I want you to be my everlasting habitation. Are you kidding me? And we're stressed about our mortgage payment? See, when we say it like that, it seems silly. But do you see how subtly money has become the Lord? And how when pandemic breaks out, everyone hoards. You know, in, in Acts 11, I love it. It said a famine was coming. So what did a church do? It sent an offering. hebrews 7 and i'm almost done oh my gosh it's twelve i'm so sorry um hebrews 7 it says this verse one for the for this king melchizedek king of salem priest of the most high god who met abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings blessed him to whom abraham gave a tenth part of all first being translated king of righteousness now make this clear this is a new testament hebrews 7 and then also king of salem meaning king of peace with Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of days, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So think about this man, Melchizedek, that Abraham came, brought a tenth of all that he had to Melchizedek. But who is Melchizedek? It says that he has no beginning of days, no end of days. He's a king of righteousness, a king of Salem. And this man, Abraham, met this one who was like the Son of God, this type and shadow of Jesus. It says he is a, a priest. Continually, And how many of you know it says that Jesus is not the order of the Levites. He is the order of Melchizedek, right? So so Abraham comes in and what the Lord is trying to show us in Hebrews 7 is what New Testament tithing looks like. So verse 4, Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. And indeed those who are in the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them that received tithes from Abraham has blessed him who had the promises. Verse seven, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them. So every time, see, you're not giving to our church. You're not giving to your local house. It's as if you are putting it right in the hand of God. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them. Of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, this is my favorite part. Even Levi who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now listen to this. God remembers every offering. Abraham, I, I need you to see the text. Abraham is giving to Melchizedek. He's giving 10 percent of his income to Melchizedek, just 10. God receives that 10, that tenth from Abraham, and here's what he says: It's as if the Levites that were in the loins of Abraham were giving it. So the Levites come out of Abraham as a priesthood to receive tithes, but they're blessed as a priesthood because their father gave first. Listen in 1st Samuel, it's so incredible. 1st Samuel it says this in verse chapter 15 verse 35 and Samuel went nowhere to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel and then, I'm going somewhere. Chapter 16, it says Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing you have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Like, how long are you going to be sad? And here's what God's response is Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, for I have provided myself a king amongst his sons. Our God is a generational God. And if you can catch this revelation from the Lord, you'll realize this is way bigger than money. It is way beyond money. When you see this God who says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just to make sure that they see he's generational. You see, we understand generational curses really well in the church, but we do not understand generational blessings because we don't have honor in the church. Man, we can talk about breaking curses over people's lives that their parents left for them, but we never talk about a seed that a parent planted that made my life blessed today. You think I'm standing here because I'm anointed, you are deceived. If you think that this church is growing because because my brother and I got something figured out, you're deceived. You see, when my dad was laboring, paying a price, sowing his whole life, I've seen my dad give away cars to people, like he kept paying the payment and gave it to somebody else. It wasn't even a paid off car. You see, every offering God remembers. And when my dad is laboring, you can ask, we have people here that have been with him for 30 years. When my dad was laboring for 30 years and sometimes 20 people would show up to church, God saw a a man that gave an offering to the Lord, a man that was willing to pay a price. And God said, watch what I'll do with your seed. I remember being in Australia, I've shared this story before and I was doing a Power in Love with Todd and, and, and they were filming it on TBN and I remember them telling me, tonight you'll have a potential viewership of 25 million people. I'm like, what? I had just, well, I was not even on the time schedule yet. And I'm preparing and I'm trying to wake up and my dad calls me and leaves me a voicemail. In the middle of the night, it's morning for me, in the middle of the night, And keep in mind, I've seen him touch the thousands, but I've also seen my dad walk into rooms where nobody showed up and one person was there and he's preaching to empty chairs. And I remember he called me and he's weeping, telling me how proud he is of me. And I'm like, who who am I? This This should be you. Why am I standing here? But yet... He's not saying, "Lord, why not me?" He's going, "I'm so proud to see what God's doing in your life." And I thought, and I thought about this story when I was younger. I remember we went to Jacksonville, Florida. cause you will remember this. We went to Jacksonville, Florida, and my dad was invited to do a conference. And in this conference, we were at a gosh, I'm going to lose it. We were at this this hotel, and this pastor had invited my dad, and he's like, like really talking it up. Like a lot of people are going to come. I'm sure Miss Michelle remembers this, and. And we show up and I'm like so proud of my dad. Like growing up, I was like, I'm gonna be your assistant someday. I just wanna hold his Bible. I was so proud of him. Like I'd see him preach and I think like, gosh, I wanna be like that when I grow up. And I remember he went into this room and and there was nobody in there. And the pastor looked discouraged and he looked he looked like he was ashamed. And my dad made him feel like a million bucks. And they, I mean, this whole ball, there's more, there was more. there was probably 500 chairs in there. And I remember thinking to myself, I was discouraged. I'm like, what is he gonna do? And he got up and costumes there, he got up and he preached like a thousand people were in there like as if he was preaching to Congress. And I'm like, who's he looking at? There's no one in the chair. And then I'm in Australia standing in front of potentially 25 million people, not because I'm anointed, not because I'm blessed because someone before me paid a price. And guys, I'm telling you, if you can see the honor, you see, I don't just give for me, I give for my son. And every offering and every price. Man, this has been the most rewarding and the hardest season of my entire life. Try starting a church during COVID and racism. <laughs> and then and then not being able to control yourself and actually dealing with real issues. Like dealing with racism, demonic, sex trafficking, demonic. No one's talking about it because everyone's trying to build a church, but God just won't let me keep my tongue quiet. <laughs> we're a church here where we're gonna go after same-sex marriage is demonic. Abortion is demonic. And if you don't like it, you can find some another church that likes that kind of stuff, but not in this house. It's been so intense. You can ask our leadership. you can ask my wife. So intense. I feel bad for her. Because I'm, I'm, I am I literally sometimes will wake up in the morning and, I, and I'm spending time with Jesus and I'll get a phone call at eight and I'm on the phone till eight at night just dealing with issues. And it's really none of you. We love you, bless you. People are like, oh no, did I call? I'm not, stop, I'm not talking about you. And I'll go to my wife, just secretly, can I be vulnerable? And I'm like, what? Why did we do this? (laughs) Gabriel, stop laughing, Gabriel. But you see, it's impossible for God not to bless this. Man, I could be in our young adult skirt. (laughs) I'm not ready for this, Lord. Five. $500,000, Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing. But you see, my father did something that I just simply learned how to honor. And if we're not giving because we honor God, we're not giving at all. You can give everything with a heart that says, all I want is to receive, but it not be in love. And all you'll have done is just given everything away. I can't stress to you enough how what I'm preaching to you right now has nothing to do with tithing because you're required and obligated to, but actually there is something that will break open in your life that you haven't even expected that maybe you didn't even want. Like what's happening, I'm like, Lord, slow down. People in other states, how? please let us be another location. Relax. I don't even know what I'm doing in mine. I can be in our young adults group. (laughs) So here's what God says, ready? He tells Samuel, fill your horn with David's oil. There's a blessing stored up for my kids as you stand to your feet. Samuel is sad, regretful, depressed. God says to him, fill your horn with oil. Because God wants to pour something in you so he can pour from you. You see, your anointing is not just for you. Your giving is not just for you. My kids, who know the word really well, mine. I was listening to this thing. my wife and I were cracking up the other day. His pastor was talking about it, like you're in another room and all you hear is mine, 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 my, mine, 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 mine. Their heart, you know, is not exactly in the right place at this moment. They're three years old and one years old. But what my son doesn't realize is every tear, every sacrifice. I'm growing up, I thought we were reloaded. I never had a need, a care in the world when I was a little kid. I would go to the bathroom and I never prayed that there'd be toilet paper there, it was always there. Faithful. I would, people, you can ask Harry, people come into our home, Aunt David Wilson. They get married into our family and they gain weight. No offense. I did too because my my parents always have food out maybe it's a culture thing or maybe it's something that we've caught from the Lord God is extravagant and when I'm extravagant it doesn't just affect my kids it's going to affect my kids' kids and God is not anointing me for me but he's anointing me for my seed lift your hands And in a time like this, where there is such temptation to hoard and to, and to keep, and we find things that are more important. We get to the tithe later because we've got to go on vacation. If you could see what Jesus has done, you would never... Wrestle in your mind again with giving because you would find a God that gave everything. And there's so much gratitude and eternal perspective hits your heart where you realize you're going to go and stand before him with nothing in your hand. You might as well give everything to him now. Here's what he says, Mark 10:28. Peter began to say to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. I'm saying this to my leadership. Behold, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left their house, left brothers, sisters, and mothers, and fathers, and sold their farms. And for my sake and for the gospel's sake, that I will not receive a hundred times as much now. Everyone say now. In this present age, houses, brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and childrens and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. You see, it's not about what you give, it's about how you give. It's, it's the woman that came with the one might in her hand and it was more than all the Pharisees combined. God is simply saying, can I actually have your heart? I'm not telling you to sell your houses and give it to the church. I'm telling you what would it look like if every waiter and every waitress that encountered your life really encountered Jesus because your money was where your mouth is. What if what if we couldn't help but to just keep giving away? What if we would try to, to save and destroy? And I'm not against saving. I'm, I'm doing just make sure your heart is open enough when you pass that person on the street and God says give them everything that you wouldn't question him. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you enjoyed that message. If you'd like more information on what we're up to or how to connect with us, and even to see our upcoming events. You can visit us at risennation.org. We bless you. Grace and peace to you today.